When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, bringing the hottest breaking stories from the Camp No. I'm Dan Hilton, joined alongside Francis Tomas, as always, across the ocean. And we'd like to tell you, if you haven't done so yet or new to the podcast, please consider subscribing via iTunes at tbpod.link backslash iTunes or anywhere else you're listening to the podcast, including Stitcher, SoundCloud, or even on Spotify. Please subscribe to the show. You can do that just by hitting in the show notes. And the last note, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, on Facebook, anywhere. You might get some social media. It's at the Barcelona Pod or on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod. Or you can follow me at HiltonD13 and interact with us on Instagram, Twitter, and also obviously just on the Facebook, the Barcelona Podcast. Frances, episode 54 is the first post-El Clasico episode that we've had so far. What's going on today? Well, we're not going to be celebrating for a Clasico because I think everyone has already been doing that for the last three, four days. Um, you may notice my voice is sort of gone a bit. That's all the shouting and screaming and the cheering that I did um, for Messi, Sergio Roberto, and all our heroes at the Bernabeu. Uh, that 3-0 victory certainly was worth celebrating. So um, if I sound a little bit weird, please apologies. Um, it's all for a good cause. In today's TV pod, we're going to be looking at analyzing the season so far. So it's a mid-season review with the key question, La Gran Pregunta, who are the winners and losers of Barca in 2017? After that, I had the pleasure to speak to our friends from the New York City, Peña, 
and that was Jordi and Gallo and that interview is coming up in the second part of the show and we're going to finish up with the best most favorite ever part of the show which is the listener questions the Barcelona podcast 54 starts right here and the great news is we have more questions than we've ever had before in Loranda and so we'll have to give a lot more time for that at the end of today's show but before that we start with La Gran Pregunta and it's not just one question but multiple questions that will keep moving and we started with the Gran Pregunta of Barcelona's winners and losers of the season with the moment of the season award now Frances do you want to go first on these or should we just go back and forth I think I'll go first because I've got two um, I, I, know that, I know that's cheating already. Actually, Frances, I picked two as well, so I think we both might be cheating on this one. Okay, that's no trouble. That's no trouble. Uh, my first one is Messi's renewal. Um, we were anxious for a best part of a year, really. Um, we all know that Messi is the best player in the world, best player to ever play the game, and knowing for a fact that he's going to stay with us until 2021, it really was the moment of the season. I, I do realize this is not linked to any goal. This is not linked to any result. This is not linked to any trophy winning. But for us, Messi is Barca. And the fact that his contract was running out in 2018, it really was at the backs of everyone's sort of minds constantly. Um, let's not forget that if Messi hadn't renewed his contract in the 25th of November, he would be free to go in three days' time uh, once the new year starts. So I think it's undoubtedly the best news of the season because it doesn't just impact this season. It's sort of the long-term future of the club is secured with Messi, Messi's renewal and Messi's decision to stay with us uh, for the remainder of his career, really, because 2021, he'll be quite old um, to have much more impact elsewhere. All right, what about your second one? So my second one is the fact that Valverde has joined the team. Um, he was not a high-profile manager when he got to us. Fair enough, he did really well in, in, in Greece with Olympiacos and had been making a significant difference at Athletic Bilbao, taking them to Copa la UEFA runs and, and all sorts. But he never had a major club such as Barca in order to be in charge of. And, you know, he had Neymar living in the summer. Madrid were far superior to us in the summer in terms of La Supercopa. Um, the board were definitely not too efficient in terms of signing. Um, you've got Iniesta, obviously a year older. Messi having a new manager yet again. You don't know how he's going to react. You've got Luis, Luis Suarez not necessarily having his best season at all. Uh, different physical problems. You've got the great signing of the season, which is Dembele. Plays a couple of minutes and then gets injured again. And, you know, hasn't played since. And to be honest... It really was not a great situation to come into, but I think Valverde, because of his calmness, because of his um, the mechanism that he's trying to introduce, the fact that he's such an analytical manager, he's really looked at what the players at his disposal can do and trying to maximize everyone's potential. Um, also, huge difference from Luis Enrique. He is much more calm and composed and... Let's just say he doesn't have a fiery attitude in front of the media, which has been really welcomed by the whole of the Blaurana community. And all in all, Barca are in a much better position because of uh, Valverde's doings, Valverde's, Valverde's influence. Um, that is in terms of personality, in terms of intangibles. But when you look at the, say for example, the La Liga table, 45 points after just 17 matches, still unbeaten, having scored 45 times and only conceding seven uh, being incredibly secure, both at home and away. In fact, 
22 points have been won at the Camp Nou and 23 have been won away. So it really is a great credit to the manager and all of the work that he's done that Barca is in a great favourable position right now and still fighting and hopefully fighting to the very end for the treble in all three major competitions. And my moment is three of those points that were gotten on the road. And in particular, I picked the first goal against Real Madrid. And I know it's recent, but again, El Clasico, that's that's the moment and that's the time that all Kool-Aids look forward to all season long. And while it is recent, the first goal where, where Sergio Busquets turns on a dime and evades Tony Cruz, pats, passes up to Rakitic, and then Rakitic running with Messi. Messi goes and pulls the defender with him. So Rakitic just a wide open lane, straight to goal, gets over to Sergio Roberto, and Roberto, a one-time pass over to Luis Suarez, who has struggled this season, at the beginning of the year at least, and is now on fire in December, is able to finish on a nice little one-time dink in. And so that gives Barcelona the one nothing lead. And from there on, the Blagrana were able to dominate in that one. And while Real Madrid made it interesting late, Still, it was a dominating 3 nothing performance, particularly in the second half by Barcelona. And for me, that's the moment of the season so far that encompasses them being the top team in La Liga. And then the one note I want to give to this category, when, when we think about moment, we think about positive. But I actually do have just one that sticks out in my mind as, as a moment of the season and one that I might think about in future seasons. And that is the game against Las Palmas back in October in the empty stadium. And the reason I say that's just a moment of the season as I I think pictures of that match and just the eerie atmosphere and the eerie feel it had was something about this season that was individual to this season and that I I had never seen before. And I think it was just an odd and an eerie feeling and moment in the year. Absolutely. And hopefully one that will never be repeated because obviously all the background story to the empty cam, no, it's not something that we want to get into too much detail here, but let's just say it's not a situation that anyone's proud of either side of the argument. So back to being positive, we're going to move to the most improved award, and my pick, so you don't take it, Frances, is Mark andre Ter Stegen. Hopefully he wasn't your pick. He was. He <laughs> really was, but you go ahead, it's fine. Well, the reason I picked him was the same reason you have, and... I would say, if you remember around two months ago, even on the podcast, we were saying that he was probably the sixth or seventh best keeper. We were arguing whether or not it was him or, or Jan Oblak for fifth or sixth, seventh best keeper in the world. And now there's more and more, not just us who are sitting on the Barcelona podcast with all of our bias, it's a lot of media outlets from a lot of different sources saying that he could be a top three goalkeeper in the world at this point because that's just how good he's been in the past few months. 7.1 match rating, according to WhoScored.com in the Liga. That's best in the Liga over the course of the season so far. Averages around three saves per game. But more importantly, the number he's only conceded seven goals in 17 matches in the Liga and 11 shutouts in those matches. Four shutouts in five Champions League games. And this all coming after five goals were conceded over two legs in the Super Cup. So that's just how good Marc-Andre Mark Ter Stegen has been, that he has been that wall that we've needed. And we've also mentioned that, we'll say back in October, the whole mantra of the season was four guys who couldn't get injured this year that Barcelona absolutely need 
was Messi, Umtiti, Ter Stegen, and Iniesta. And yet, Iniesta has missed a little bit of time, and Umtiti, who would be my other pick for this award, especially if he hadn't been injured, because that's another guy who went from, you'd say, maybe top 15, top 20 defenders in the world to making an argument for being a top 5 defender in the world, because even at the beginning of the year and through November, Umtiti was outshining PK. Now, PK has recently refound his form, but Umtiti has still been that shining star who basically had 10 bad minutes all season long. And Ter Stegen, you could say, is the same thing. He got rid of all of his bad juju during the Super Cup, and he has been phenomenal since. He really has, and I think, obviously, all the stats that you're throwing in make perfect sense, and, and it's a credit to him and, and the hours of work he puts in training, the confidence from the manager, and also the fact that he's growing, not just at club, but also international level as well, performing really well for Germany. Um, while I was doing my number crunching before the pod, like we always do, I realised something that's quite telling, and it's the only point I've got to add to what you said about Ter Stegen, which is he made seven saves in La Supercopa in the summer. So despite the fact that we were th- thrown out of the bathtub water by Real Madrid, we actually could have been in a much, much worse position because Ter Stegen actually had to intervene with seven saves. So we could have been going away without 12-1 in the Supercopa, which really would have been much more damaging than it actually was, and it was terrible already. But um, yeah, back to Ter Stegen, absolutely well-deserved award for him. He has been exceptional. Who is your least improved award? I had several candidates for this one, but I think if you're going to get the least improved award, you should have at least played. Um, I'm, not sure, I'm sure I'm giving something away with, with that one. But um, I went for Andre Gomes. He hasn't really been the key player that we needed him to be. Um, was signed from Valencia last summer for 35 million euros. And to be honest, from the moment that he landed at the Camp Nou, we had doubts. And he's done nothing much in order to, to turn the situation around. Um, I think that when he's playing, um, he's solid ish as such um, he does what he's told but he's got very little creativity and it looks like being under the Camno spotlight doesn't doesn't help him and uh, there are players like that and there's been players like that throughout the decades that I've been watching Barca but I think with the Gomez particularly is that he doesn't seem to want to do it and, and I know that's a very harsh thing to do with a professional a harsh thing to say about a professional but I really do feel that that's the generalized feeling by the Kule fan base. Um, he's got a 6.3 rating in who's good, which is not very high at all, but he's only played 371 minutes in 16 appearances. Now, when you've got someone like Ter Stegen, which is already in 1600 minutes, or Rakitic, which is already in 1400 minutes, then it's clear that he hasn't got the confidence on himself and therefore the coach cannot really help him. Uh, when he has played, he's got zero goals and zero assists. Uh, in terms of key passes per game, he's got 0.4, which that means that he makes a key passes every three games. And in terms of fouls, he's fouled 0.3 times, uh, shots taken, also ridiculous score of 0.4. So it really is a, he really is a player that hasn't been adding too much at all and is fully deserving of the least improved because let's rewind it a little bit. In the summer, we were saying that Andre Gomez was worthy of the let's give me another chance award but he hasn't taken it and it's very disappointing to hear that well for all of those reasons he was actually an award winner for another one of our awards that i'll get to later 
But for me, it's been Gerard Delafeu because you talk about potentially Andre Gomez just not showing you how much he wants it, but Delafeu has visually shown you how much he wants it. You can see, and every time he's on the field, the desire that he wants to be better and the desire he wants to make an impact at the camp. No, yet with the opportunity he had, the injury to, to Usmane Dembele, Delafeu just didn't show well. 16 total appearances across all competitions with two goals and three assists. And as he said, he would get to the byline. He would get to the touchline with those good one-on-one marauding runs against a defense. But yet the end product just wasn't there. And at Barcelona, you have to have some end product of which Delefeu just hasn't been polished. And he's worked hard defensively, which was a step up from the last time we saw him before he was sent out on those loans and sent to Everton but and AC Milan. But... Delefeu just doesn't look like he has a place because he's, you know, Valverde is not going to count on a player that just can't help the team put the ball in the back of the net at the end of the day, and and that's a that's the shame of that. So for all the good, I mean, for all the bad we've talked about, let's move to the Rising Star Award, and I picked for this one Nelson Semedo, who has been good in opportunities he's had, and Valverde. The great thing about Semedo is that that Valverde hasn't need to rush him because of how good Sergio Roberto has been. And for Semedo, 10 La Liga appearances, 5 Champions League appearances, so 15 total appearances. No goals or assists just yet, but I'm pretty happy with the fact that he's hitting 88% of his passes overall, and he is getting forward and taking some chances. So the slow transition of moving him into a larger role is working, I think, pretty well. And so for me, he's the rising star that you don't know if by the end of the season, if Barcelona are in the finals of certain competitions, that he's not the starting right back because he hasn't made that kind of progress. I mean, he could do that at this point. And Sergio Roberto, if not, has been wonderful in his absence. Absolutely. I actually picked Sergio Roberto for the award, which is really, really telling. And I think... For once, it is credit to the board for signing Nelson Semedo in the summer because, um, you know, us included, me included, um, I was cheering on for Hector Bellerin to be signed. But um, I think the consistency in terms of defensive mobility that Semedo can add really is a positive, And um, I think they got it right in that one. Um, having said that, he hasn't really played that much. Um, 15 appearances are a good number. Um, but if you look at Sergio Roberto, who's been injured um, at several different spells, I think it's a couple of times he's missed a couple of games. Um, he's already on 19 appearances, having played 1,300 minutes. He's given five assists, so goal assists, and already scored once. Um, he is able to provide passing at 91% of accuracy. He gives 54 passes per game, so meaning he's constantly involved. And key passes per game is also at 0.9, so remarkable stats for Sergio Roberto and I think with him it's not just the fact that his numbers are looking up and he's got a 7.35 rating and who scored so overall rating is incredibly positive as well I think with Sergio Roberto it's not what he's doing now it's what he can offer in the future and I think Kules around the world can see him growing as as a future leader at Barca and I think that really is remarkable whether he's going to do that right back or in midfield remains to be seen. Obviously, Nelson Semedo has been incredibly reliable when trusted, but I'm not sure if Valverde sees Sergi Roberto as a starting midfielder yet, which in turn is impacting Semedo's time. But I think both right-backs, and in Sergi Roberto's case, you can argue he's not really a right-back, um, have been exceptional this season, so fully deserved. 
I agree with your choice and hopefully you agree with mine, Dan. Yeah, I think they're both uh, very good arguments. Now, last chance for Glory Award. Who's your pick, Frances? Well, my pick is Deolufeu. Um, I, I didn't want to say the least improved because, to be honest, I didn't have that much high expectation with him coming back. Um, I've known Deolufeu for many years. I watched him play at La Masia uh, when he was younger and he was incredibly impressive then. But the way in which he transitioned to the first team was never positive. Um, he had a, an air of arrogance and I know everything already and I don't need to try that hard defensively about him that Luis Enrique saw straight away. Um, let's not forget that he trained with Luis Enrique for, I think it was a month and then he already offloaded him elsewhere and then he went pretty much everywhere. He went to the Premiership, he went to Italy and then you know he had a spell in Sevilla as well, came back to us and my expectation was really low. I have to say that throughout the months, He's, there's one thing you can fault him for, which is always trying his absolute best to make an impact. And um, I think that De Lufeu is trying to remain true to his former self, who was a player that, because of physicality, because of skill, because of um, just being so dynamic and confident, he could just run past defenders. And um, that really helped him in his development. But that is not something that he can do right now at professional level. And he keeps trying and remain true to himself, but unfortunately, it's not working for him very much. Um, he's played 641 minutes, which is much more than I anticipated, to be totally honest. As you mentioned, I think that's linked to Dembele's inju injury, but he hasn't had that much of an impact so far. And I would say if there's a great offer coming now in January, um, I've read that Milan are interested in signing him again, then I wouldn't be against offloading him if we can make our money back. But um, if that wasn't the case, or there wasn't an offer that allowed us to sort of break even at least, I would keep him and see where we are in the summer. So for me, it's last chance for glory for De Lufeu. And the note on De Lufeu in all those minutes is that none of them have come in the last month. He has not played since the 27th of November. So we'll see if he fits in the January plans or if it's time to say goodbye to the player. Now, I went a little different direction with this award, and it hurts my heart to say it, but I would pick Last Chance for Glory, the way I thought about it, was Denise Suarez. Before, not the same reason of Delefeu, but the fact that we've seen this season that the clock is ticking on Andres Iniesta. Obviously, he is aging, and he still has so much, so much quality, but he's coming out of every match. Of course, he, he can't play a full 90 minutes anymore. And the thought is that his replacement is going to be bought and brought in for over 100 million euro, whoever that may be, that to find a replacement for Iniesta, it's going to come outside the club. Now, what I said about Denise Suarez last season over the summer, all season, is that we don't know how high this guy's ceiling is. He's still in his early 20s, so we don't know how good he can possibly be. But my thinking is that if a big transfer comes in, and he continues to sit on the bench in certain games like he does. You know, he didn't see time in El Clasico. Instead, Andres Gomez was the one who was brought in to close out that match. Then he might need to reevaluate his time at the Camp No because all of a sudden, a year or two from now, now he's 26 years old and in his prime, and yet we don't know how good that he could have been if he hadn't seen the field. And so for me, the last chance for glory is Denise Suarez because... He is what he is for now, that being just a bench player to inject some control and possession. But maybe he could be starting Barcelona caliber. We just don't know yet. Yeah, and that's a really valid point. I think that when he has played, 
he has delivered, but he hasn't delivered to the point that you think, actually, let's not waste money on, say, Coutinho or Ozil or Arthur or any of the players that have been thrown around in midfield now and trust Denis Suarez. There's not many people that I have heard of that have had that argument. And it's because of the reasons that you described. I fully agree. So for most underrated player, I picked a player that is seeing the field or was seeing the field at least before his injury, and that's Paco Alcacer. Five goals, three assists in 12 appearances across all competitions. And so that tells you how out of favor he was that he's only made 12 appearances and Delafeu's made 16, yet Paco Alcacer is, before his injury at least, was so important and had all the confidence in the world from Kool-Aid's. After not getting many opportunities, he gets to a point in the season when he's found himself in the starting lineup. And obviously, you look at his season where Luis Suarez was never going to be dropped. Even with all of his difficulties in front of net, he was always going to be able to be given the starts and the time to work through it. And so that meant that Alcacer, if he couldn't play in not even a front three, but if he couldn't figure out where he needed to be alongside Luis Suarez and Messi then Alcacer wasn't going to find much time on the field, and he was either going to have to adapt or never get a sniff. And again, before his injury, we were saying that he should have been the starter against Los Blancos, that he would have been perfect because of the fantastic games that not only he had in the Copa del Rey, but he had against Deportivo and the like. And so for me, it was Alcacer. Yes, and I would agree with that as well. Um, I think that he would have definitely been a start in El Clásico had he not been injured. And um, let's not forget as well that he had a good two, three months at the beginning of the year in which he performed well for the first two, three games. And then he went for six, seven weeks being totally out of favor. So the fact that he managed to bounce back, it really is remarkable. Um, I went on a different direction with this and I picked Ivan Rakitic. Um, I was surprised. I've become much more active on Twitter and you can follow at, at the Barcelona pod, as I'm sure our listeners are aware of. I've always been active on Facebook, but Twitter seems to be a different place where everyone's got a very strong opinion. And um, a lot of people were criticizing Rakitic horrendously from the moment I started reading what other people said. And I was quite shocked because to me, he's a player that has given Barca absolutely everything. He costed not that much. I think it was 21 million from Sevilla. Um, three or four seasons ago now and he's more than returned the investment that Barca made on him and he's been a key player since so it made me doubt like is Rakitic actually as good as I think he was or is everyone else that is criticizing him right Um, so I've been a little bit more putting him under the spotlight and I've got some stats here he's played 1400 minutes in La Liga so all together with the Champions League that's 1800 minutes he's in the top three of most played players for Ernesto Valverde, and he was for Luis Enrique for the first couple of seasons that he was there as well. Um, He's got one goal and three assists, which you could argue is not brilliant, but it's okay. Um, He's got one shot per game, one key assist per game, passing accuracy is 91%, and his who score rating is 7.1. So actually, this is a really valid player who plays pretty much every single game, um, whether fans like him or not, he's someone that the coaches absolutely love. He does everything that is always asked for him. He's been quoted saying, I would run three marathons so that Messi is rested and he can accelerate when he needs to. And he would do that for Suarez as well. And, and obviously, he said this last year, so Neymar was included, but we don't want to go there. Um, but yeah, he's a player that would do absolutely anything, always what's needed, incredibly unselfish, always taking a background sort of spot and allowing other people to shine. I, I really can't fault the guy. 
Um, sure, at times his passing is not accurate. At times he could be a little bit more risky. He doesn't dribble around people and, you know, he can be a bit clumsy sometimes. But then again, when you're playing 1,800 minutes in three months, then that can happen. So for me, arguably one of the best players in the team and definitely the most underrated for me um, so far this year. The Miss You Always Award. Who's your pick, Frances? Right. I got creative with this one. Um, the Miss You Always Award. Let's explain what this is. So this is a player from the Barca past that we would love to have in the team right now. Um, last When we did this in the summer, I think it was episode six. I'm not too sure. But you can go back and have a look if you're really, really interested on sort of hearing what we said then. Um, we went for Xavi, Dani Alves, etc. But actually, in Xavi would always be missed. So I decided not to pick Xavi again. Um, Dani Alves, we seem to have sorted with the right-back situation, as we just explained with Semedo and Sergio Roberto. So I've gone for Rivaldo. How awesome would it be to have Rivaldo as a left winger right now? He would kill it. You know, he's got Iniesta right behind him, so he wouldn't have to sort of drift to the middle as much as he needed. He could combine with Suarez. Suarez would be on 97 million goals already. Um, he would be spectacular playing next to Messi, and no one could stop him. So if we could have Rivaldo back, please, not at 49, but at, say, 24 years old, that would be great. He would make an absolute killing, and I would give anything to have Rivaldo back in the team right now. Now, Francis, you sent me the note. The player who left last season that Barca could have definitely done with this year. Is that what I did? <laughs> that is the note that you sent me. So my thinking, obviously, was that the, the, that Frances is going to say Neymar. Duh. Obviously, the answer is Neymar. That looking at the players that left, he really is the one that, the only one, you'd say, that was a starter that left the team. And so the answer was obviously Neymar. So I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Um. I sent you that in the summer. How did I send you that this time around? And I forgot what the award was. Um, apologies. So who did you pick? So, you know what? I'm not going to pick Neymar either, if that's what we're going to do. So instead, I actually am going to go completely off the book and surprise you with this one, with a player that left Barcelona last season. And my pick is actually a, a young man, 19-year-old center back named Eric Montes, who is very highly rated, probably the highest rated in the academy at the time when he left. And not that he went to Man City, but instead he was, he's now playing with Girona's B team alongside Sung Ho Pak, who also left the team in the summer, the South Korean midfielder. But Montez, for me, he played U16, U17, all the different youth levels for Spain, and he has a very high future. And so He's a guy that, much like Fabregas or PK or Jordi Alba, years down the road, if he is able to fulfill his potential, and now you look at who his coach is, he's a 19-year-old, and Pep Guardiola with the high-flying Man City is the team that could potentially have access to him. And so for me, my pick is, obviously Neymar is the pick, but Eric Montez is the name that I just want to throw out there. I can't disagree with you, but I'm sorry I didn't explain that very well if I didn't. Um, so yeah, there you go. Added value to our listeners. Added value to our listeners. That's great. All right. Well, you can make it up to me by listening to my pick for special mention award. And you actually already talked about this and it's Ernesto Valverde for all the reasons that you talked about right at the start that not only has he been great with the media, but again, who really cares about that? But it's the fact that he just got it right every time where I look at the po the press conference after the Real Madrid game, where of course, 
oh, you've opened up this 14, potentially, well, technically 11-point lead over your rivals. You've wrapped up La Liga, blah, 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 blah. And Valverde, of course, very composed, says, well, if Atletico Madrid get results, then we're only six points up. And that's us losing two and them winning two, and now we're tied. And so he says that La Liga is not over with Atletico Madrid and with Valencia, who've lost a little bit of form, but with Valencia right behind as well. And Real Madrid, you can never count them out that the Liga isn't over. And so he's been very humble, very straightforward about all of that. And also his ideas about the starting lineup and the substitutes, where he might not hit perfectly on his tactics every match, and he might not hit perfectly on his substitutes every match. But you'd have to say Barcelona is still unbeaten because he's always hit one of the two. He's always got his starting lineup right, or he's got the two or three substitutes that he's put in the game as well. He's rotating Iniesta. He's even rotated Messi. And you have to say that there's been no better to right the ship this season than Valverde. So he is my special mention award. And fully deserved as well. My special mention is to someone that you mentioned earlier, is Samuel Umtiti. He's been exceptional for Barca, 1,500 minutes played, average rating of 7.14. And let me just mention here, when I was talking about Rakitic right now, he had a 7.11 rating. So Umtiti's and Rakitic rating by whoscore.com is actually very similar. Obviously, they play in different positions, which is clear. But in my opinion, it's very telling that fans seem to praise Umtiti so much and rubbish Rakitic's work so much, when actually what they perform in, like in the team and on the pitch is not really that different. But put that aside for a minute. Umtiti hasn't scored, hasn't assisted. That's not his job. He's got two tackles per game, two interceptions per game, only commits one foul per game. Um, whenever there's an aerial, so that's a heading situation, um, he wins 1.5 of those per game. He's got 2.4 clearances and one block per game. So basically hitting very, very convincingly, every defensive stat that actually matters. Um, beyond that is his growth, is the fact that I think yesterday Liverpool signed Van Dijk for £75 million, which I believe is around €83 million. Euros. We signed MTT for £25 million not that long ago. So actually that's the bargain of the century, really. The fact that this guy continues to grow, continues to develop, continues to learn, and obviously, he's won everyone's heart at the Camp Nou and beyond. Um, it really is exceptional. So I would say he deserves a special mention. Obviously, the player of the season, I think, is quite obvious. Um, and I think we're going to forever pick the same guy as, as far as he plays with us. But um, I would say Umtiti certainly up there with Ter Stegen and that little guy from Argentina that I can't remember his name very well. Um, that is always forever going to be picked for these awards. But undoubtedly, great addition, incredibly powerful column, hard backbone of the team, Mr. Samuel Umtiti, a national French and Catalan hero. And then finally, our Messi of the season, I mean our player of the season award. Of course, it's Messi, 15 league goals, three in the Champions League to lead the team, seven total assists, 5.6 dribbles per game, 2.6 key passes, and not only his work for Barcelona, but you look at what he did for Argentina. Hat-trick against Ecuador to help his team make the World Cup. So that's what he was doing on his days when he wasn't lighting it up for Barcelona. Obviously, it's messy. And even in the games that I feel like on Twitter, you always put him in the polls, even when I think that there might be four players that had more of an impact. But yet people still say Messi, where against Real Madrid, 
I don't I don't have the exact stat on me, but you can look on Twitter that he jogged for I think less than twelve percent or three percent or whatever it was of the match, and yet still made the impact he did. He's remarkable. He really is. Um, I talked about it a little bit more in the interview with our New York City colleague, so I'm not going to say any more on Messi. Just the fact that his average rating in La Liga is 8.8 out of 10. Um, that tells you everything there is to know. Um, he is a genius, best ever, and we are proud to call him one of our own. And so now's the time in the show. We'll do La Antaravista, and we'll go with the aforementioned guests that you mentioned, and that is the NYC Pena president, Jordi Getman, and Vice President Gal Ortiz. Let's hear from them. All right, so um, as Dan just said, this is the interview with our members from the New York City Peña, Peña Barcelonista, New York City. We're joined by Gallo and Jordi. How are you guys? Good. Great. Good. We're doing great. You're a little cold today. All Happy right. to be with you. Good. I'm, I'm delighted to have you with us. Um, we've been backwards and forwards with emails for a couple of months now, so I'm happy to finally find 15 minutes. And um, how was your Christmas? Oh, it was great, uh, especially because two days before we had uh, an early gift of the Classico. Okay, can you tell us about that? Uh, I, I thought it was a, a, um, a very interesting game. Uh, the first half was uh, kind of weird, uh, just seeing uh, Zidane's formation. But again, it, it's one of uh, Zidane's faults where he can start well, but cannot possibly read the game. Uh, and after that, everything went well for us. Uh, we just came out, and after these guys were all burnt out, um, we just took advantage and, uh, you know, went on to score and win it. Yeah, uh, that's what we were th- saying in the podcast as well. There was lots of people um, arguing that Zidane sort of went crazy in mid- the you know, middle of the game, and um, he left Bale and Isco on the bench. But um, not much credit has been given to Valverde for what he's doing with the team. Um, how do you guys see him from New York City? What's, what's the view on Valverde at the moment? You know, it, it's really interesting because we started the uh, we started the season doubtful of what uh, this new season was going to bring. Uh, the Supercopa turned out to be a, uh, a couple of games that we're very sorry to have had to experience here. But at the same time, uh, you know, I have to say uh, along the lines of what you're talking about, it was very it's been very surprising in a pleasant way to see that Valverde is able to look at all of our players and extract from them that which they do the best and combine that into a larger collective. So you can start to see as the games go on throughout this season and especially culminating with a classical where even though it was seven in the morning here uh, and people were a little yeah, they were lining up outside before the game, and uh, when they came in, as Gallo said, the, the first half was uh, a little tense. But I also felt myself that Madrid wasn't pushing in a way that uh, made us feel uncomfortable, and that's something that really stands out about Valverde, is that there's a lot more thinking that's going on behind uh, the scenes than we seem to sometimes see on the field. It was very clear to me, I thought, that uh, he had a bigger plan of wearing out Madrid, which he did very well. Second half, uh, they were just toy that we played with. Frances, you're, you're absolutely correct. Uh, there isn't enough credit given to Valverde to have uh, properly read the game and, 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 and guess what Zidane's uh, play was. Uh, it's not all about Zidane making a mistake. It's more of Valverde uh, being more of a seasoned uh, coach. Exactly. And I think that that's what he tried to build on Bilbao as well. And uh, if you look back at his career, when he went to Greece, he was managing Panathinaikos, and he's a semi-god in there. Um, he developed a team that 
you know, didn't have many stars into a solid team. And obviously now he's landed at Barca, it really does look like he's getting the best out of the players, not necessarily just for this season, although this season is working well, definitely in terms of results, but he's looking more at the long term. Now, when you were talking earlier, you were saying our oh, people queuing up. Now, I purposely haven't said too much about your roles, about all the great work you do at New York City for the Peña and the Cules around the world, which, because let's face it, many people that go to your Peña must be international. So um, could you tell us a little bit more about your role in New York City and uh, what you do for us? Sure. Yeah, no, we'd be very happy to. In fact, uh, I, I think it connects a little bit with Valverde. He's uh, somebody, as you mentioned, that went to, uh, to Greece and uh, really connected with the culture there, the footballing culture. Uh, he's somebody that really understands the, the, the different uh, aspects of, of the cultures that influence the players that he handles. Here at the Peña in New York City, we are a very international. In fact, we tend to refer ourselves as more of a universalist uh, Peña because only about 10 to 15% of our Peña members are Catalan. The rest of them are from different parts of the world. Some of them have been living here in New York for a long time. Some of them are actual native New Yorkers, which is amazing uh, to have them uh, take on a, a sport that maybe they haven't known as, as, uh, as children. But uh, we have um, this last season, we peaked out so far at 525 members. Uh, we're very happy to have then be part of a larger community that we try to help create and uh, encourage for them. Uh, we value very much the, the universalist open message that Barca proposes, and we want to be part of that. Uh, we want to work not just as a Peña, but also as a group that contributes to society. And so we are a nonprofit that uh, regularly, when we organize a party, it's always with, uh, or some sort of event, it's always with uh, charity in mind. Uh, we give through these events, we're able to give to young boys and girls here in New York City uh, that are not as privileged as others. And uh, so at that level, we try to push the message uh, that it is to be a Barcelonista beyond just uh, the game. That sounds fantastic. That really is Mesque un club, isn't it? Uh, for our listeners, it means more than a club. And what you're describing is just Barca having an impact, not just because of the 11 players rushing after a ball, desperately trying to score and um, cheer people on, but actually making a difference to the local community. That sounds great. Exactly. In fact, we like to refer to ourselves as a mezcla una peña. So that would be more than a peña. Well, there you go. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So um, right. Your, your role, obviously, you seem to be quite humble because you're saying we, we, we all the time. But let's say Jordi, for example. Um, what is your background? Why are you so passionate about Barca? And why are you now leading the Peña in the way that you're doing it? Well, I, I was born in Barcelona, and uh, although my father is from upstate New York, so I'm uh, yet another one of the universalists here, uh, <laughs> a nice mix, I would say. But I, uh, I, I ended up living in New York City 14 years ago, and the uh, first thing I wanted to do when I got here was find a bar that would play Barca games. It was nearly impossible. It did coincide, though, in the next few years with uh, a slow growth of interest in watching football or soccer, however you want to call it. And so slowly, uh, a, a number of us started coming together at uh, specific places. Uh, there was an old bar called uh, Nevada Smith's, and uh, Gallo and I met there many years ago, over a decade ago. And it's really interesting that that, that sort of um, initial struggle to find a place to, to watch your favorite team play it was it was such a struggle that it brought people together very closely and uh, we became great friends because of that uh, but we were a small group and a few years back about four years ago now 
we decided that even though the Peña has, our, has been a, around since 2001, that we wanted to make it something bigger so that more people could enjoy it. And uh, so we concentrated on really getting the word out, uh, engaging in social media, and um, making the experience at the Peña, watching a game, more than just a game. We wanted it to be about friends coming together, about family coming together to enjoy Barca. That sounds brilliant. And it really, I could see that in the videos that um, I tweeted and retweeted on social media that you guys posted. Um, it was when the classical first goal was scored and you guys went crazy. So um, it's great to see. Like, it really does remind me of all my days in London. Although these days I can't really go down that much anymore to El Barco uh, by the River Thames in London, simply because my, my young daughter is now seven weeks old. Um, but as soon as she's a little bit older, I'll, um, I'll go back down. So um, Galo, what is your role in all this then? Um, because obviously we heard from Jordi. So how do you develop your passion for Barca and how did you meet really? Like Jordi said, uh, we, we are a small group of uh, uh, diehard fans who met together um, trying to find a place to watch the games. Because uh, as Jordi mentioned, it was really difficult 16 years ago to find anyone broadcasting uh, Liga games. Most of the popular uh, games were either Bundesliga or, or, or some other Liga, you know, mm -hmm. uh, maybe Italian Rai one or something like that. I just uh, was always, ha have always been a fan because of my brother. Um, I got introduced to Johan Cruyff. Oh, and nice. yeah, so ever since then, I, I thought of him to be, and he has been, actually, he was uh, a, the great, one of the, the greatest players ever, uh, strategist uh, as a coach and everything. So, uh, you know, we met up and, you know, it just evolved into, into something where um, you want to bring more people in. Uh, my role really is, is it was more of, uh, I, I try to approach Jordi on, on more of a technical side of things. I was like, you know, we need to put up a website, we need to have Twitter, we need to do Facebook thing, all of that. So that we can get more exposure here in New York. Being in New York alone just gives us that, um, that opportunity to, to, to hit you know, an entire seaboard here, right? Of course. So, uh, uh, you know, we, we took advantage of, of the time where Barcelona was just invincible, right? Mm -hmm. We were, you know, we were just saying, you know, here we are, anyone in the New England area could come here and watch a game. At, you know, we watch every game. Every game is going to be broadcasted here, uh, you know, whatever, high definition. There'll be drinks, there'll be uh, food, there'll be people like you. And, uh you know, like Jordi said, our, our, our being universal, we've never uh, denied anyone from coming in, whether you are a, uh, Barcelona, a Barcelona fan or even Real Madrid fans. I mean, if you look back on, on all of our history and our pictures, uh, we have fans in here enjoying the game just as well. I mean, we do pick on them, of course. <laughs> and deservedly so. Why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we point to you know, we there'll be a, a guy there with a with a Real Madrid shirt, and we just kind of like put a circle on him and be like, he's the target. Yeah, but I, I, I will I will add to that. It's uh, for us, it's the most important thing when you watch a game is respect. So uh, whether it be sometimes we've had problems with uh, you know the the British fans. You lived in London, so you know about this. Mm -hmm. British fans like to sing um, insulting songs at times. We, we take that, uh, you know, with uh, a big smile. And uh, usually we turn around and just remind them of the fact that Barca has done much better than their team lately. So 
you know, it, it's something that in a place like New York, whether it be, I'm sure the same was the case in London, um, you have an international crowd, people that come from very different backgrounds. So being able to respect everybody's point of view um, is a very important element. And, you know, just like in the, in the Barca anthem, when you hear, Tan sabal don banim, you know, it doesn't matter where you come from, Sidal Sudo del Norte, from the south or the north. Uh, it really doesn't matter to us where you come from. What matters is that we all share the same passion. Absolutely. Says, uh, one of the biggest advantages that we have is that we have established an, an amazing relationship with the owner of, of, of every place that we've been to, from Nevada Smith, which are almost almost half, 50% of the owners of Nevada Smith are here now being owners of Smithfield. So you walk in here, and it's like, cheers, really. You walk in here, and, and everybody knows you, period. That's awesome. That really, that really does sound like a community. And unfortunately for me, I live thousands of kilometers away. Otherwise, you have me there knocking your doors every single time. So um, the... hey, we, could, we could Skype you in, dude. We could Skype you in. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the little clips after that you put on social media. But saying that, my co-host Dan Hilton, he lives in the outskirts of New York City. I don't know exactly where. But um, uh, he's always exactly saying, I need, to get, I need to get down, I need to get down. It's like, come on, man, you have to do it. So, Dan, I know you're listening to this. In fact, you're editing hey. this. You have to go and pay them a visit. Come on. I told them, I said, look, Hofstra isn't that far out. Really, just just take a drive, Long Island Expressway, yeah. into the city. Boom, you're done. We have, we have people We have people that come here, Frances, from uh, from Boston sometimes. Yeah, well, there you go. As uh, Washington, D.C. as well. So... You, you tell him that there's no excuse. He has to come here. He has a standing invitation. Yep. In fact, you have a standing invitation, and we expect you and hope that you will come visit us soon. Of yes, course. Mr. Hill, only, you're only 30 to 45 minutes away. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, once my daughters have grown up a little bit, I've been to New York City three times, and I have to say it's a gorgeous, beautiful city, and uh, certainly... The, the Frances family is going to pay you a visit very soon. It just depends on how all my lovely girls are. So um, obviously it all, it all sounds really positive in terms of community, in terms of your dedication, in terms of passion, but your jobs must have some difficulty. Um, I know from uh, the people that run the London Peña, sometimes there are things that don't really go their way. I know there's endless hours, um, lots of uh, money collecting, lots of... Because um, we also have tickets, you know, in terms of when, say, the Chelsea game, that's going to happen in a couple of months. Um, that brings along a lot of um, a lot of time, a lot of difficulties, a lot of um, volunteering uh, with it. So what difficult moments do you go through for the benefit of the Peña? I think, I think that you, you bring up a really good point. Even though we, we all are... I would say 99% of us in the Peña are going in the same direction. I all want to, wanting to make this a very positive um, experience for everybody. But the reality is that, yes, there are, there are organizational pains. Uh, you have to coordinate very well with the, the bar where we see our games. You have to coordinate very well with the rest of the whole Peña because, it, you know, even though we've grown from four years ago, we had, I think, if I remember correctly, 38 uh, dues paying members this last season we had 525 dues paying members uh and then on top of that you can add the hundreds if not thousands of uh of uh, barcelonistas that that want to show up at specific games and are not members being able to fit that into a bar that's not going to fit everybody being able to coordinate like when barca was here over the summer tickets to go see uh, Barca play against Juventus or against Real Madrid, um, the training sessions that we were able to coordinate. It's, it's all, it takes a long, yeah, it's a, it, it takes a long time to organize that. 
all of us uh, are doing this for free. That are the directors at the at the Peña. We're all doing it for free. We do it because we care. Uh, sometimes uh, you have to get to a point where you say, you know what, we can only do so much. And and there are a lot of programs and initiatives that we have basically on standby because we're very enthusiastic about what we want to be able to do. The only problem is, like you mentioned, the difficulty of organizing it. There's the lack of time. Uh, but as we're moving forward and we're becoming a larger and larger Pena, the interesting thing is that new ideas come up. We've learned a lot about efficiency. And uh, to be honest with you, um, no matter how hard it becomes, when you walk into the Pena and you see everybody gathered together, ready to watch a game, uh, extremely excited, that makes it all worth it. Definitely. Definitely. And the videos that I watched certainly show that, that that amount of passion, that amount of determination to to come together and celebrate something, in this case, the greatest club in the world. So full admiration for you and what you do. Um, and, and talking about that, could you please tell us about your most favorable and memorable moment that you've lived in the New York City Peña? Because you've been doing this since 2001 and you've done we've done a lot of winning in that period. So the most memorable moment, please. Well, I'll give you mine, and then Gallo can give you his. My my most memorable moment was uh, in 2006 when we won our, our second Champions League. Uh, we were in another, another location, Nevada Smith, and half of the bar was Arsenal fans, and half of the bar was Barcelona fans. Oh, wow. Yes, and I happened to be right on the border between Arsenal yeah. and Barcelona <laughs> fans. And when Arsenal scored the first goal, I had I was completely drenched in beer. <laughs> from all of the Arsenal fans uh, getting excited. And then we came back, we won that game, and I remember walking outside. This, of course, with the time difference here, it was in the middle of the day. Uh, so you walk outside of this dark bar, and bright sun outside. I walked outside, and we had won our second Champions League. I started crying. I remember calling uh, friends and, uh, and family and sharing the same excitement. And uh, I remember saying to myself and to others, I don't care if they win another one or not. This is great just to have this. Mm -hmm. Of course, five minutes later, I thought to myself, you know what? It'd be nice to have more. <laughs> <laughs> Always about being ambitious. I like the spirit. I like the spirit. As for me, uh, one of the most really exciting and, and, and memorable uh, times was to see uh, a Messi score uh, his hat-trick at that age against uh, Real Madrid. I mean, every goal that Madrid scored, Messi came back and boom, equalized. So um, at that time, um, there were there were you know we were all gathered together watching the game and everybody screaming. We're like, oh, this this kid is you know. I mean, at that point he was amazing, but it was it was just beyond that. You know, it was it was beyond watching him do that thing he did to get Etape, right? You know, where where he takes it from the middle of the field and just scores on them. Take, you know, kind of mimicking uh, Maradona at that time. That was exciting. It really, Messi, honestly, we really don't have any more words to describe him. Um, we do this podcast. We used to do it. Go on. Describe. Yeah, so we used to record this podcast twice a week, and uh, we probably will go back to that in the future once we've got a bit more time. But um, even if now we do it on a weekly basis, it's just you have to do the player of the week beyond Messi. You know, you have to say, we always do a section which is players trending up and down. And it's always the three players trending up that are no Messi because Messi could be, you know, topping the charts every single week. He's been excellent for well over a decade now. I think he's 15 years now at professional level. 
um, making his debut at 17, having scored in excess of 500 goals and over 200 assists. It's just insane. And we say it every week, but we need to count our lucky stars as, as Kules, as Barca fans, of having Messi in our yep. team and having witnessed the whole yep. of his career. It really is a blessing. How, how do you guys see that? I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think that what really stands out to me, though, about Messi beyond all the superlatives that have been used to describe him is that you see in him that desire to just play the game and to play it at Barca. And that's why I think we should find our lucky stars beyond the fact that he's amazing, mm -hmm. that he, he wants to play at Barca. Um, this last, so during the Classico just last uh, week, with him actually being able to pass the ball uh, as an assist for the third goal without his shoe on, I thought that was just yet another little sign of how inventive and crazy he is at making you feel like the game is really something that you can enjoy and truly grow from. Exactly. We're witnessing history here. This is someone who walks, e.g. walks, as in he's walking, which is just insane, 83% of the game in a classical. And then with the 17% of jogging or running on and 1% of time sprinting, he goes on to deliver a performance for the ages. And um, yeah, we, we're just very fortunate. And, and obviously, we couldn't be any prouder of Messi and what he's brought to Catalonia, Spain, the world, and everyone who loves Barca, which is great. Now, we are getting to the end of our interview now, but I really want to ask you a question. Um, what do our listeners need to know to join a Peña Barcelonista? And please bear in mind that the vast majority of our listeners are from the United States, um, most of them from California. Second region in the United States for us is New York City. So that's your catchment area. But um, if um, wherever in the world they are, how can Cules join a Peña? What would the process be? It's very easy, actually. We, we, you, they can go to our website. It's uh, fcbarcelonanyc.com. And right there on the website, even though we are in the middle of... Uh, expanding it right now, but they will be able to find all the information on becoming a member. Um, not only that, I mean, they don't have to become members, obviously. We, we love having members. For us, what's more important is uh, spreading the ideas uh, that Barcelona brings to this world, not just, in, like we said earlier, not just in football, but as a society, what we can gain from being Barcelonistas. And beyond that, we want them to be to feel very welcome coming to New York City to come to our venue here, Smithfield Hall, which is on 25th Street between 6th and 7th Avenues. Uh, they can find all that information on the website, and we are very happy to have them come over. That's all we would say right now. Come on over, watch a game with us, and I think after that you won't be able to, to not come back. On a, on a different note, um, uh, if, if anyone out there and, and they have a great idea where uh, we could be helpful, they could just send us an email at info at fcbarcelonanyc.com. Let us know what your idea is. Um, as long as it helps socially, uh, those are, that are not as privileged as, as the rest of us are, uh, we would love to hear from you. Um, sponsors, anyone that wants to be a, a part of this, truly welcome. Absolutely. Yeah, and and I, would also, I would also lastly say that we are, we're also, in fact, we last uh, few months, we've been helping out with a series of other 
uh, groups in uh, across the United States that are trying to put together Kenyans. We're helping them put their paperwork together. We're helping them uh, guide or guiding them, sorry, through the, the process of becoming a Peña. Uh, when Barcelona was here, when Barca was here in the summer uh, in New York City, we also were able to coordinate the first ever gathering of uh, the Pan American gathering of Peñas uh, outside of, of Catalonia or outside of Spain. So we had Peñas from uh, Mexico City. We had them uh, from Brazil. We even had uh, a Peña from Shanghai that showed up, oh, which yeah. we were very thankful for. That was Absolutely. great. But we also had Peñas from Houston and L.A., Miami. It was, it was a D.C. It was a, a, a truly wonderful moment to bring them together and talk about what it is to be a Peña outside of Catalonia, what it is to be a Peña that uh, wants to transmit the Barca values to an international audience. And so at that level, it was it was a great first step, and we're looking forward to building on that. We, we've set up a, a community uh, of American Peñas now. So look for us uh, in the very near future. Wow, definitely. I mean... Obviously, we've got plenty of listeners, uh, several thousands of listeners listening to this right now. So um, if there's anything we can do as a podcast, obviously, uh, thank you for coming on the show today because your message is loud and clear. But uh, if there's anything else we can do in the future to communicate, to broadcast, to advertise and, and, and to get your message and your mission um, to more people's ears and, and lives, then please let me know and, and or Dan know. And we'll definitely be able to collaborate with you because it is a it was a pleasure having you in the program, and I can't thank you enough. All all the best for the future. Muchas gracias. Gracias. Vizcal Barça. Thank you very much. Uh, remember, both of you are invited. Everybody's invited. Please come to the New York City Peña. We will. Gracias. Adeus. And that's great stuff from two guys doing a lot for the club here with me in New York City, and I look forward to the opportunity to meeting them, but you hear that there is a flourishing and wonderful atmosphere here in New York City for the team that we all love. Well, no La Bolsa and no La Tabla today, as the Femini and Barca B are next in action next weekend, so we'll get back to that section on next week's show, but we got to keep moving because we have La Ronda La Preguntas and the most questions we've ever had, a record 15 to get through today, Frances. Ready to go? Let's do this. So, so proud of all our listeners and audience and followers. Really, really excited to do this right now. Well, let's start with somebody who deserves to be mentioned. He's always been a big part of our social media community, and that is Charlie Barca. And he asked, Now that Vermillion is fit and has proven he's at the right level, will Barcelona keep him? Also, will we still try to buy another center back anyway with Vermillion in form? There is no reason to doubt that Vermillion has been an integral part for the last four or five matches and as a result he shouldn't be changed in terms of signing someone else I think we still need a backup uh, but I would honestly hand in heart go with Costas because Umtiti is going to be coming back incredibly soon I think over the next couple of weeks he should be back um, you've got Fermalen who has shown that he can be relied upon when fit and again that's a question mark I think I, I, I would risk it Mascherano is most certainly going to leave for China in the next couple of weeks as well and I would say Costas from Barca B has been playing consistently, playing to a good level. Valverde is watching them pretty much every game. And I would think he would be a good option to move forward. So I would say powerful Amasia, stick to our own ones and let's trust them. Messi Boy asked, how much money do you think could be made by selling all the extra players and the dead weight? 
I'm not quite sure how much money this board can make, but I would say a good 60, 70 million if you include um, Andre Gomez and Arda Turan in it, certainly should be able to to come to our bank. Undoubtedly, yes. See, for January, that's funny because my number was probably on, you'd be lucky in January if you get 35 million for the players that you're able to sell. And they always say in January, players are much more expensive. So that's why you should look for loans. And also it's stupid to make big buys in January because again, players are in the middle of their season and teams are absolutely don't want to lose them because they're part of their plan. So that's always a big problem too. Sapin Kule asked, do you think Barca should still buy a center back even if Mascherano stays? But we know at this point that Mascherano will most assuredly be heading to China. Now the question is, or we, it's been reported that he won't be heading out until a replacement comes in. I, as I said, I think Costas from La Masia would be a great choice. And I think they we should start trusting our own and the players that we've been sort of putting so much emphasis and years on in order to succeed at first team level. So Jerry Mina, if needed, can come in the summer. I think that's the plan initially anyway. And let's stick to it. Pablo asked, why are the likes of Andres Gomez getting playing time at midfield when you have Sergio Roberto because that's blocking Nelson Semedo? I think because Gomez adds a degree of, I would say, defensive solidity that Sergio Roberto may not have. And there are times in the game in which that's what Valverde is looking for. Um, as I said earlier in the podcast today, I don't really rate Andre Gomez really high. And I think that given the 35 million we invested on him, I was expecting much more from him. But he can add a little bit of calmness in the middle, which Valverde seems to like. But again, if a good offer comes, I'm more than happy to part ways. Rehan asks, should Barca renew Roberto and Mtd before the transfer window opens? Yes, of course. They should have been renewed yesterday morning. <laughs> um, they are players that have to be the backbone of the team for the next decade. And undoubtedly, they have to be part of, of our present and our future. So yes, let's do that. He also said a lot of players' contracts expiring in 2018, and that's true. So you're going to have to start to figure out some of those extensions or else you're going to be losing a lot of people for free in the summertime. Arsacio asked, purely based on the recent Classico, do we really need another signing? There could be an argument that we should stick to the current squad, improve it, and maintain a strong coherence instead of paying a ridiculous amount for, say, Coutinho and take time helping him adapt, and I'll take this one. I always like Arsacio's questions. I feel like we're on the same wavelength a lot of the time because I completely agree with this in that if you're going to spend 150 million euro for Coutinho in January, that seems silly to me. The squad clearly has the depth and the ability this season to see out all three competitions, and the way Valverde is moving with the squad and has a tight-knit group, I'd say even bringing in a starter like that could disrupt some of that locker room stuff. Instead, recoup and figure out what to do over the summer, maybe pull him in for a cheaper price over the summer when Iniesta will be farther faded out of the team for next season. And I think for me, that's a more natural transition. So I say, in theory, if no new players come in, I'm fine with the squad they have. So that's my answer to that one. For Sekander, he asked, do you think Rakitic is undervalued by some Barca fans? And you kind of mentioned that earlier in the show, Frances. Yeah, it's a big fat yes, definitely. Samuel asked, are we still going for the Coutinho deal? Uh, yes, I, I would. I really, you know, I'm, probably I'm in the minority here and people are bored of hearing it. But I think that if you've got a player who can score the cracker he scored against Swansea a couple of days back and can take Liverpool forward the way that he's doing it, someone that's going to start in the World Cup undoubtedly for Brazil, which arguably is going to be 
winning the World Cup in the summer, and that's very arguably, obviously. But um, yes, he's a player that would be an instant starter, and I think that investing heavily for those side of players is much better than buying Andre Gomez and two runs for the next couple of years. So I know that I could be in the minority here, but for me, yes, he's an, he's an instant buy. 100, 120 million, I would give any more than that. To me, it's unreasonable. But um, yeah, I would, without a doubt, want him in my team. Tharun asks, Sulison said in the summer that he will leave in January if he doesn't get more playing time. So is he going to leave? And if yes, who should replace him? And my answer to that would be, if Sulison, it doesn't seem appear that he's going to be leaving, but he is getting a little bit of time in the Copa del Reyes. And he's a backup. I think he knows his role. He knows he's a backup. And I think he came to Barcelona because he wants to win titles. So I'd see that he's probably going to try to get through the rest of the season at least and, and try to make some of the titles up that he has wanted to get in his career. And if he does leave, I don't think that Barcelona this season, at least in January, bring in a replacement. Instead, it would be Ad- it would be Adrian Ortola from the B team, who's their starter. He'd move up, and basically it would bump up every goalkeeper in the system. Not necessarily from Juvenil A, but the backup, I'm saying, for Barcelona B would become the starter, and, and so on and so forth. So that's the answer to the Thurun's question. Bika asked, how will Dembele fit in knowing a 4-3-3 with Suarez that he doesn't play well at left wing? Would it be a 4-4 diamond? I don't know. Um, but what I do know is that quality players of Dembele's caliber always have a starting 11 spot. Um, whether he's, Valverde is going to go for a 4-3-3 again, like we saw in a Clásico at different stages, um, remains to be seen. I think that's what is in his mind. But obviously, given his more solid, consistent approach to games... There will be times in which Dembélé would either come off or maybe would alternate positions with even Luis Suarez sometimes. So I'm not quite sure what's going to happen, but I do have full confidence given the experience of the last four months in Valverde and let let the manager surprise us. James Coulet asks, is the pursuit of Arthur a reflection of the lack of ambition in the transfer market? He says, surely he won't be better than Rafinha or Denise Suarez. And the other question then that kind of fits in with that is Robert Fernandez playing too many little games instead of building to win Europe? Yes, I, I agree. I totally agree with James. I think that if we're going to sign someone who needs to be a world-renowned star and signing players for 30, 40, 50 million that are no guaranteed starters makes no sense to me. Let's head over to Facebook where Ray asked, what strategic changes could Valverde have made at the half that changed the game around so dramatically in that Real Madrid match? I think that that's a very good question. And going back to El Clásico, I think a lot of people are putting a lot of weight on Zidane's decision to basically back up a bit because the first half Real Madrid were dominating. But the thing is, Barca were incredibly consistent and they weren't really troubled that that many times. Um, I think it's a combination of Zidane's decision to pull back and Barca's, or or in in this way, would be Valverde's um, decision to actually push the team forward and having the ball for a little bit more consistently prolonged periods. I think it's a combination of both. And Zidane had actually even said that he didn't make any changes in that second half. And so it just tells you that Barcelona were patient, waited, and they found their opportunity. Lauren asked on Facebook, what potential political disruptions could occur this season and in the upcoming seasons as Catalonia nears independence? Now, Frances, I'll take this one. It's a loaded question. So I'll give you a less loaded answer. And that is that we really don't know what's going to happen, but the perception coming out of Spain, again, I had just been there weeks ago, is that while there are there have been 
elections again, where basically the parliament has gone back to almost the exact same way it is, where the majority is a separatist, but there's also uh, a, a a contingent of that parliament that is is looking for a unified Spain, and so the percentages are almost the same that it was before the referendum happened, and and the, and the government of Catalonia was pushed out. So that said, both the Catalan government, whoever are sitting in those chairs, and the main government in Madrid both want to make sure that this is all peaceful and this all happens at the table and there is discussion. And so I'd say that politically, I don't think we're going to see a great effect on the football aspect of this. And if it does, it's going to be way in the future. And again, even if that happens, who knows, they might still stay in the Liga in the same way that Monaco are in Liga. And so they're just too many questions that are too far away in the future to try to guess. But my my guess would be that not much is going to happen, obviously this season, but even in the next few seasons ahead. Yes, you answered that perfectly. Um, I've got nothing much more to add. Just the fact that we really don't know what's going to happen and it's not a situation that anyone enjoys. Here on Instagram, Majdina Srala asks, why isn't anyone considering Alex Sanchez for a winter transfer from Arsenal? In my opinion, he's, he'd be a great signing. He's obviously unhappy at Arsenal, and he already knows the club and has played with a lot of the players there. And it also looks like he'd be a definite first-team starter who will slot right into that empty left wing we've had all season so far, and he can play in the Champions League. Now, the Champions League one is a big one. That means he'd be possible in January, but for me, I think he'd be just a little bit too expensive and get in the way of Dembele's potential. Exactly. It's a position that we've got covered. I'm not doubting Alexis Sanchez. Um, I'm not doubting Alexis Sanchez's greatness and form and the fact that he would add to our team undoubtedly. But I think there's two points. First, I think he's done with Manchester City. I would be really surprised if he didn't rejoin Pep Guardiola, given the fact that there's a mutual interest for both parties involved. And also, as you said, Dembele's progression is more important at this point because why did we invest so heavily in the summer we're going to sign someone who's going to take that position that makes very little sense but obviously it would be a great um, addition if it was to happen but I don't think it's the right moment or the right time last but not least and this might be the hardest one we've had so far Frances Erratic asked has having Qatar on the camiseta which obviously just means shirt for those English speakers impacted a lot of Kool-Aids like me do more people yearn for the old colors and merely UNICEF on the front? Is it even possible for us to go back there? And this is about the club identity. And I really like this question, Frances. It is a difficult question. And it is also a brilliant question, as you said. Um, I think having UNICEF made the club stand out. It was Mexican club. It's more than a club. And it really proved the fact that at Barca, it's not just 11 players running after a ball. It actually means more than that. It's community. It's, it's solidarity. It's everything that UNICEF stands for. Then Qatar came and that wasn't very pretty because then it, it sort of moved the club away from the slogan, away from the people and much more into the money side of things, which uh, we didn't enjoy. I was totally against it at the time. I think I think it's quite lucky we weren't recording the podcast then because I would have had a couple more things to say on it. But uh, I am delighted they're not sponsoring us anymore, um, at least as a main sponsor. And Rakuten has to be a good choice at the moment um, as a company they do what they do and it doesn't conflict with who we are as a club so for me that's a much better fit and uh, I do understand that lots of, pe- of people around the world didn't buy the Qatar didn't necessarily agree with the Qatar 
idea, and I'm, I was one of them. Well, that wraps it up. Good answer to end it, Frances. Thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Again, we ask you on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and even on Spotify or Google Play even. Wherever you're getting the podcast, we appreciate if you gave us five stars and left a review. And we'd also have to say we want to thank our patrons. we got a new one this week, and we appreciate him as well. So thanks for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. We have the hottest breaking stories from the camp. No. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And for the Barca. Thank you, Douglas, for becoming a patron. It's appreciated. Forza. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com